Great time of praise. Appreciate that. Today we've been asked by the president to have prayer for Houston, and we want to do that and be able to lift them up in that need in our prayers. Also, we are we are glad to have with us our guests from uh, among the Morris family, and this is the better-looking cousin. This is David Morris. And uh, David, the reason I said that is when Ron is here, he makes me say that he's the better-looking cousin. So, but the Morris family and the Highland Park family, super, super long history. Uh, God has been so faithful and has blessed abundantly the ministry of your family, and we're so thankful that, that we get to be a small part in that support. And so we welcome you. We're glad that you are here as well. And so as we pray this morning to pray for Houston and uh, pray also for the Morris family and for all of the missions that, that are supported through the uh, ministry of Highland Park, uh, would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you that this is a day that you have made, and so we rejoice in it. And Father, I thank you that the day that Harvey made landfall was yet a day that you had made, and we could rejoice in that as well. In the midst of all of the tragedy, we see the power of your creation, and we see your grace and your mercy extended by people to other people in need. And Father, I pray that today that as we worship you together, as we study your word together, your Holy Spirit will guide us and that we will be strengthened and we will be equipped to live lives that bring glory and honor to you, to reflect the joy that is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to think with me for just a minute about song titles that have the word happy in them. Think about song titles with the word happy in them. Now, I consulted with the research firm of Google, Google, and Google, and Dr. Google gave me a list, and Dr. Google told me that the 60s were a great decade for songs with happy in the title. Now, here's, here's some of the ones. Some of you don't even know the 60s existed. But those of us who do know that the 60s existed, you may remember this one from 1967, Happy Together, by a group called the Turtles. We cannot make fun of the names of music groups today when we had music groups named the Turtles. Uh, at least we're not. Never mind. In 1969, Blood, Sweat, and Tears came out with You've Made Me So Very Happy. That was a great song. I, I met Roseanne in 1967, but we didn't start dating till 68. But by 1969, I was singing, Honey, You've Made Me So Very Happy. Her biggest concern about today's message was that I would actually sing any of these songs. So to put that to rest. Also in 1969, Edwin Hawkins had a great gospel song called Oh Happy Day. It even made the charts in the pop music world, Oh Happy Day. Now, Bobby McFerrin came along in the 80s in 1988, and he gave us Don't Worry, Be Happy. And we we like that one. And then in 2014, Farrell 
came up with a song, Happy. I guess that was the only name he had in his hat. But anyway, you had to know Farrell for that one. One of the things, though, that I think is important is that we have a desire to be happy. And so that's what we're going to be asking about today as we begin our Tough Questions series is, does God care if we're happy? Now, your initial response may be, why is that a tough question? Well, let me just say it this way. How you answer that question reflects a lot about you and reflects a lot about what you believe about God and you, how you respond to that. Some might say, of course, God wants me to be happy. And others might feel the opposite. But I think we probably all hope that God wants us to be happy because deep down inside, we kind of want to be happy. We don't like the alternative of not being happy. Now, some of you might be forming an answer in your head that says, God's not interested in my happiness. He wants me to be joyful. And if that's really your approach... Uh, sounds like you're struggling with that a little bit. God wants me to be joyful. You know, it's like, God wants me to love you. How do we deal with happiness? Does God care if we're happy? Um, Does the Bible even talk about being happy? Well, actually it does. Does that make you happy? The Bible talks about that. The context, though, in which the Bible speaks about being happy, as I find really interesting. Interesting, in the Old Testament, the first mention I find of the word happy, Genesis chapter 30, and it is at a time when Jacob's wife, Leah, who has given Jacob his, her servant so that Jacob would sleep with her and be able to conceive a child because, because Leah could not. And in, Jacob, and in Genesis chapter 30, when Leah finds out that her servant has become pregnant and then gave birth to a son, Leah says, how happy am I? The women will call me happy. And so she named her son Asher, which means, guess what? Happy. That's, the name, that's what she named her son. So, Let's look at the question now, and if you want to use your sermon notes and your sermon page in your bulletin to jot a few notes, the first question that we have is, how do you choose to be happy? And did you notice the slide that Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, when we started, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Have you ever just done a people experiment, a people watching experiment and just been in some public place and just started watching people as they go by, just looking at their faces and just by observing their faces conclude whether that is a happy person or a sad person. If you were to be able, if you were to just to do your own little market research and you're watching people go by. Maybe you're sitting in a Starbucks. Maybe you're walking through the mall. You're encountering a lot of people and just begin to observe their facial expressions. How many of them are happy? How many of them look sad? How many of them look like they don't have a clue where they are? 
all of those kind of things. But the proverb writer says that a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Here's the question though. How can I be happy when I'm experiencing heartache? How do I deal with that? I don't want to walk around with a plastic smile on my face. But I also don't want to walk around being like the little cartoon character with a cloud over their head. I don't want to be that. How do I deal with the heartache that I face in the world? You see, the words in the Bible, the words happiness, the words rejoice, joy, often are used interchangeable. They're often used interchangeably in our language. And we often view them as having the same meaning, but there are some nuances. There are some instructions that I think that we receive from the word. And here's what we must understand. We must realize, first of all, that happiness is a choice. It is not a result. Happiness is not something that comes to you, but rather something that comes from within you. That's why the proverb writer said, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. So what's the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness has been defined as a state of well-being and contentment based on good fortune. Joy has been defined as a vivid emotion or a pleasure that comes from within. Here's something I think is important for us to understand. When dealing with something as subjective as happiness... We have to test it in light of something that is objective, like the Word of God. If I base my definitions of happiness on something as subjective as how I feel at the moment, I will always have a a fluttering definition of happiness. But if I base it on what the Word of God says, on an objective, like the Word of God, then I can understand what it is really means to be happy. It's interesting that in the Gospels, the word happy is not found unless you take the Greek word marikos, which is translated in the Beatitudes as blessed, but in some translations translated as happy, and the word is used interchangeably, blessed and happy. We find that that in those versions where that is, takes place, then that, that translation still fits. Happy is the person who is poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. All of those can be used interchangeably. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in the 19th century, a British preacher preaching in London. And he made this statement, I would sooner be holy than happy if the two things could be divorced. Interesting. I would sooner be holy than happy if the two could be divorced. Were it possible for a man always to sorrow and yet be pure, I would choose the sorrow if I might win the purity for to be free from the power of sin, to be made, love, to, be made to love holiness is true happiness. But the question is, do I have to choose between the two? Does God care if I'm happy? If I define happiness as doing that which makes me feel good and my happiness is based on my pleasure, my desire for pleasure will ultimately perhaps lead me away from holiness. 
but can I be happy and holy at the same time? That was Jesus happy. We know that he was holy. We know that there was joy in his life. We know that Jesus experienced great joy. And so I think it's important for us to understand One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul addresses how we make this kind of choice. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. That's the choice. That's the choice. God cares that I am happy if my happiness is based on the things that make God happy. If my happiness, if are the things that I'm thinking about are these things. That Philippians chapter four, verse eight, the filter for my mind, God's desire for me to experience joy, happiness, rejoicing. But he says, here's how you do that. It's how what you think about. It's what is in your heart that will ultimately work its way to your face. Now, there are some people who I believe the switch between the joy in their heart and the expression on their face is damaged. My goodness, you look sad today. I'm absolutely thrilled. Really. Let your face know. Tell your face. Why is that important? Because you have an opportunity to express joy and happiness to other people by the way that you respond yourself. When you meet someone who is smiling, what do you usually do? Smile. Or you begin to wonder, what are you up to? I mean, that, I mean that's, that's a part of a mindset of other people. Okay, what's going on? You're smiling. That makes me nervous. What? How did Jesus demonstrate true happiness? I want you to take a look real quick in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus is talking about being able to share the truth of the message and it wasn't given to the elite. It was given to all mankind. And he said, this is the way I get my joy. This is where I find my true happiness. It is in doing the things that please my father. How did, dem- how did Jesus demonstrate that? In, John chapter, in John's gospel, Jesus said in, in John 10 verse 38, or in 6 verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's how Jesus demonstrated joy. That's how Jesus expressed his happiness. It was doing the will of the one who had sent him. Does it not seem possible that when we are living our lives in such a way that we are pleasing God in the things that we do, say, think, act, 
that we will find the joy that he has in store for us and that gives because we are giving him joy as well. I want you to consider the the style of teaching that Jesus used with his disciples. Remember, he called them and he said, I want you to follow me. And the way that a, that a way that a rabbi would teach, there were, there were three elements of a rabbi's teaching. There were three things that we see in Jesus' ministry with his disciples. And I want to use these three words, emulation, information, and examination. The disciples of any rabbi sought to mimic everything about their mentor. This is what Jesus had in mind when he said, follow me. If I want to experience and and be able to demonstrate in my life the happiness that Jesus had, I'm going to do the things that Jesus did. I'm going to make the focus of my life those things. This This is what he did. This is what he talked about. This is how he interacted with people. The disciples observed that and they were called to emulate him. They were called to copy him. They were called to follow him. Think about the information that Jesus gave to them. Sometimes Jesus taught in the temple area and it was a kind of formal teaching. But often his teaching took place where? Out on the road. They're walking down the road. They're out in the field. They're in the marketplace. They're on the shore. Everything in ordinary life became an illustration of Jesus' teaching. And often it was taught in story form or it was taught in riddles and proverbs. And it was designed to make a point to challenge the disciples' mind. Why in the world would Jesus say to his disciples after they had just said, Lord, send these folks away. They're going to get hungry. It's the middle of the afternoon. Send them away. And Jesus said to them, Hey, fellas, you feed them. Why why did Jesus do that? Jesus knew what he was going to do already. But he wanted them to engage in the process of thinking through, how do we care for these people? He wanted them to realize that they were incapable of doing it on their own without his help. But then he demonstrated for them, this is how I work. This is how that takes place. When Jesus would teach, he would say to them, listen, I I want you to understand what it means to trust me. But how did he do that? He allowed them to be in the middle of the storm on the Sea of Galilee and he came walking to them. And then he called Philip, or Philip, he called and Peter said, Lord, let me come to you. You know what? It's pretty bad. It's really rough when the fisherman who grew up in the boat says, let me out of here. God, let me out of here. Let me come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter thinks, man, this boat is going to sink. I'm getting out of here. And he takes a couple, three steps. And then we know the story. He begins to sink and the Lord saves him. And the Lord takes takes him back into the boat. Another time of teaching that Jesus taught them was Jesus was asleep. The boat was rocking like crazy. And they woke him up with this very profound question, don't you care we're going to die? No, I'm not caring. I don't care about that. No, go ahead. No, what did he do? Jesus got up, he calmed the storm. And as he calmed the storm, 
Then he said, guys, you've got to learn to trust me. That's how we understand what it is. We go through the processes. Sometimes the processes we go through are very difficult processes. Sometimes the processes take us down dark, dark journeys, places we would never choose to go on our own. And Jesus said, trust me. Sometimes we think about the examinations that Jesus gave his his disciples. The storm, the feeding of the 5,000. But how about the betrayal in the garden? What did Jesus teach them in the garden? Jesus says, guys, I need you to come over here and pray with me. And they got started and they made it about as far as our father who art and then they were asleep. And Jesus prayed and he came back and he woke them up. Guys, I need you to pray with me. And he goes off and they fall asleep again and he comes back. What did they learn about that? Jesus said, you've got to pray. You have to be ready. You have to be on your guard. You have to be a person who spends your time focused on the Father. And then they began to understand that. How do we know they understood that? Look at their ministry. Look at what happened after the church began. Look at all the dark, scary times they went through, all the persecutions they encountered, and all of the times that their lives reflected the joy that was theirs because Jesus had taught them how to live. I think it's interesting. Jesus said, I want you to come follow me. He asked them, what were you talking about when I was was up here and you guys were back there talking? I want you guys to, to go out and teach. And at the end of his earthly ministry, he said, hey guys, you're no longer servants, you're friends. It's best for you that I go away. Uh, You're going to do more than I have done. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. Go out into the world, replicate what you have seen in me. That's how Jesus demonstrated his true joy. In Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, the apostle Paul says, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit is allowed to produce his fruit in your life. Your life will be filled with love and joy and peace and patience. Your life will be filled with goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Your life will be filled with self-control. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And then... Then Paul wrote in the 25th verse, since we live by the Spirit, I love this expression, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step. If you want to experience real happiness, keep in step with what the Holy Spirit is teaching. Then the last question, how can you be happy while suffering? And that's, that's the question we're dealing with. That's why today... We're loading donations to be taken to Houston as a part of a massive relief effort. Why? Because we believe that you can be happy, you can be joyful. 
in the midst of suffering. If you've watched much news, you've heard the stories, even in the direst of circumstances, of people being blessed, people being thankful, people being joyful because of what someone has done for them. Mattress Mike in Houston will probably be able to survive because I've heard a lot of people already say the next time I need, funer- need furniture, I'm going to drive down to Houston and get my... Fun- my uh, why is that word there? <laughs> you know, I know why it happened. In my Bible class, I talked about taming the tongue and it can only stay tamed for so long and then it just goes off on its own. All right. <clears throat> but think about it. The midst of suffering, there is joy. This Thursday night, we're going to start our grief share support group in class. Why? Because it's our desire to help people who have experienced great loss to find peace, comfort, fellowship, joy, all of that that is available through Jesus. You look in your prayer list in the bulletin. When you look at that, and you see the prayer list, you see the names and circumstances of people in all kinds of suffering. One name that's not on the prayer list because yesterday morning, Dorothy Chapman going out to the curb to get her trash can, attacked by a neighbor's pit bull, knocked to the ground, severely bitten on her arm. And when I was at the hospital yesterday afternoon, here was Dorothy, and I told Roseanne when I got home, she seemed so frail, and yet she was so happy that she had family and friends around her in the midst of that, that she had confidence. It hurt, and it's going to hurt, and there is going to be trauma from that event that she's going to have to deal with. And yet in the midst of all of that, you look at our prayer list and you see all of the needs. In the midst of all of that, there is joy. I imagine most of you heard this little acrostic like I did when I was a little kid that the word joy can be remembered because it stands for Jesus, others, and you, and in that order. And that is the source of being able to have joy, keeping that order in place. Let me suggest that we consider the words of James in James chapter 1 when he said, Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And I think it's important that we notice also how James ends that letter. And in the fifth chapter, James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. There is a, there is a prescription, folks, that we need to follow from God's word, how we can live life and experience the joy 
the true happiness that God has in store for us and it is living according to his will. Earlier we looked at the eighth verse of Philippians. Now let's take a look at the, a little bit of the verses around it. And here's what I want you to do when you, when you look at the verses. I want, you to, I want you to be able to say, Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Think about that for just a moment. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. What is there that you need to rejoice about today? What is there that today, honestly, you're finding it difficult to rejoice about? You see, God did not write that in a vacuum. God did not suddenly look down at you this morning and see your mess and go, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that when I said rejoice. That's not what took place. God does know you. God does know where you are and he knows the circumstances you're in. And so he says to you, rejoice in the Lord always And I'll say it again, rejoice. Maybe this morning you're thinking, Dave, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Otherwise, you wouldn't tell me that. And you know what? You might be right. I most likely don't know what you're going through. And if you sat down across from me and you told me all the details of all you're going through, I might not have the courage to tell you to rejoice. But God does. God does. God is not caught off guard. God is not surprised by what you're going through. And he says to you, rejoice. And again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What happens to us? When things don't go well and we're not happy, our gentleness kind of disappears. We think that is a license to be crabby and mean, abusive. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you kidding me? Do not be anxious about anything. But God, what about anything? You see, he wrote it, I didn't. But he wrote it because he knew that I would need it because he knew that there would be times when I would go, but, and he said, anything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Maybe that's the part we need to focus on. Circle that. The Lord is near. There's never a time when the Lord is not near. Even when I can't feel him, even when I think he's far, far away, He's here. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All of that, and then God, God, here's what's going on. Here's what hurts. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want us to stop just right there. You'll notice at the bottom of your sermon page, there are several scriptures to look at, and I would encourage you to look at those later. And I just want us to end right here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Maybe that's, maybe that's where we need to be today. There is nothing that is going on in your life that catches God by surprise. I've got a lot of questions for God about why, if he knew it was going to happen, did he let it happen? We all got those questions. God's big enough to handle all those questions. But here's what he says about those circumstances. Rejoice. Rejoice in everything. Maybe today needs to be the time in which you are saying, God, I'm making some requests of you. God, I really want to have the kind of happiness that only you can give me. That's what I really, really want. And you really are, you're you're ready to say, God, I, I know that you care. And you're willing to say, God, I know that Jesus demonstrated it. And so God, help me today to experience it and live it in the midst of my mess and experience the joy that you have in store for me. Father in heaven, I thank you that today can be a day in which we are reminded that you really do care. Your word tells us that we are to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Your word tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus who endured everything for the joy that was before him. Father, help us not to lose sight of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You want to say, I need somebody to pray with me and we'll have people down front that will pray with you. Maybe you say, I've never accepted Christ on his terms. I've always wanted him to do it my way. And today I want to accept him on his terms. I want to see what it means to, to... confess my faith, what it means to be baptized in him, what it means to to live for him. Maybe you want someone to talk with you about that this morning. Maybe you just want to write it on your card and say, hey, today, uh, write it on your card today and say, I need somebody to call me. Now's the time we can respond. Let's stand, let's sing.